electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, good evening and welcome to Fast Money, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, once again in for Melissa Lee. Thank you very much for joining us. Your trader lineup there, you can see him clearly to the right of your screen. We have got Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Bonwin Eisen, and Dan Nathan as well. I'm Brian. Thanks very much for joining us. What a big show tonight, guys. Even though the market not doing a whole lot of stuff, we have got so much here to dig into tonight on Fast. Best bet in retail, look at Target. Shares soaring today. We have got a bullseye on that name. One of the traders calling it out in a good way. We're going to give them more. Target absolutely soaring today. We're going to dig more into retail. But if you're looking to buy the stock now, have you already missed the mark? We will debate coming up. Plus, we are following the after-hours action and shares of both NVIDIA and L Brands. Both stocks on the move after reporting results. We'll break down the numbers and a surprising stat on L Brands that I promise I swear you did not know. And later, Bonwin is taking to the mound to pitch his next best idea why he thinks this stealth housing play may be a total home run investment. All right, a lot to get to, but we are going to begin now with some breaking news on Airbnb and their plans to go public. Let's bring in Deirdre Bosa with more on the details. Deirdre. Hey, Brian, this is a filing that we have been waiting for for a very long time. However, Airbnb filing confidentially, so we'll have to wait a little longer to see that prospectus. Now, this isn't unexpected. A source told me a few weeks ago that Airbnb could file for an IPO as soon as August and shares could trade as early as the end of this year. However, as we know from other companies, Postmates, DoorDash, uh, just because you file confidentially doesn't mean that you have to IPO anytime soon. Um, what may be surprising here, though, is that Airbnb is favoring a traditional listing, an IPO over a direct listing, which many had speculated it was going to go that route. However, as we know, the travel business amid the pandemic has been hit hard, Airbnb included. And while some of its important metrics market, particularly here in the U.S., has rebounded significantly. The company has had to raise billions of dollars this year and lay off about a quarter of its workforce. So it is possible that they need to raise more cash in a traditional listing. The question now, of course, for investors, which I'm sure you guys are going to kick around, is at what valuation does Airbnb go public? Last year, this is a company that was worth more than $30 billion in the private markets. This year, saw that valuation get cut down to $18 billion as it raised more money and struggled to get through this pandemic. Now, the startup hasn't given us a ton of financials over the years, uh, Brian, but between what they have told us and what I've collected from sources, we do know that the company has been profitable on an EBITDA basis, although this year uh, they have reportedly racked up tons of losses. If we could show you another graphic to show you the sheer amount of investors in this company, it really is a doozy. I can't remember seeing this wide of a scope since Uber, um, but it has investors from the private equity space, from the venture capital space, institutional investors. Uh, what you're looking at right now is its board of directors. As you can see, um, it is fairly diverse for a startup um, and because, partly, guys, this is a company 
that has been public, uh, private excuse me, in existence for more than a decade. So certainly looking forward to this one. Back to you. Yeah, a quick, yeah, quick follow-up there, Deirdre. Look at that board there. It reads like a murderer's row, too. I mean, of, of, of heavy hitters from retail to credit cards to whatever it is. They're going to demand their return. Airbnb's entire sort of MO during this pandemic and lockdown is that they're better suited than hotels. If you're going to travel, maybe you, you know, you're going to want to be in your own space with your own family and your own little social bubble. Is there any indication that that they've had to switch their sort of marketing, if you will, that that's working or that's accurate? I mean, are people still using Airbnb right now? Um, well, absolutely the proof is in the pudding. And Brian Chesky came on air and talked to us not too long ago and in no uncertain terms. He said that travel's never coming back to the way that it was. And they have shifted their strategy. They are going back to their roots, focusing on home sharing and pulling away from that push that they've made into hotels over the last few years. So if you believe their actions, it would, you know, you'd have to believe that home sharing is coming back a lot quicker. And, you know, they've even said that bookings, at least in the U.S., have rebounded to levels pre-pandemic, and they're seeing more people take road trips. And as you said, uh, Brian, stay in places where they have more control versus a hotel. But then you get people on the hotel side of things and Expedia side of things saying that, uh, disagreeing yeah. with that and saying that the hotel industry will come back, it's obviously. A, Deirdre, it's a tough call. It's strangers you don't want to be around or families you don't want to be around. Deirdre Bosa, thank you very much. Big news there on Airbnb. All right, <laughs> Dan, I'll start with you on this. What's your take? I mean, they're laying people off. They're bleeding money, as, as Deirdre said, and yet they want to go public. Well, they should go public. I mean, the, the public markets, it's a mania right now, Brian, right? So rather than slink around in the private markets with all these investors from PE to VC marking their investments to however they want to mark them, um, you might as well get public, raise that capital. Um, you know, I agree that they should not do a direct listing. They should put some capital on their balance sheet. They're going to need it. Nobody knows how long this is going to take. And I think you and Debo touched on the main issue here is that there are going to be two ways that people... Um, stay when they are traveling and it's going to be the traditional way through hotels and it's going to be the I think the riskier way through someone else's home and I think the hotels from my experience over the course of this summer are going to be very very focused on cleanliness these guys Marriott Hilton they have decades old brands hundred year old brands that they have to stake their reputations on the cleanliness of them so you know I think that's going to be a debate that roars but as far as I'm concerned at 18 billion dollars is an amazingly disruptive company there will be tremendous demand for it in the public markets if it comes in this sort of market and if it comes soon. All right. Bullish take there from the uh, potential, potential stock. We don't know. They filed. They may not go. We're going to find out. All right. Now let's turn now to the other big story of the day that was our lead before the Airbnb news, and that is a $2 trillion milestone. Apple's market cap crossing that incredible level for the first time today comes just two years after Apple made history as America's first one trillion dollar company. But let's just put Apple's market cap into a little perspective, shall we? It's now worth as much as nearly three Facebooks, about six Teslas, and more than eight and a half Disneys. Guy Adami, they say that age ain't nothing but a number. Is the market cap? Does it matter? Well, I hope that's true about age, Brian, as you know, because obviously I'm not getting any younger. And I think it is just a number. And, you know, but I got to say this, you know, a few years ago we had James Altucher on the show. It's probably more than a few now. And he actually said Apple will be a trillion dollar company. And I remember somewhat scoffing at him 
and he was probably laughed at uh, by a lot of other people as well. Now, here we are at $2 trillion. It, it does become just a number. But for perspective, you mentioned a few things. Let's mention a few more. I mean, U.S. GDP is, what, $21 trillion? You're talking about a company that's now 9% of U.S. GDP in terms of numbers. That's pretty remarkable. And since they reported earnings, think about this, and kudos to Dan Nathan, they probably added $400 billion to their market cap in, what is that, 9 or 10 trading days? That's bigger than all but probably 10 or 11 publicly traded companies out there. The numbers are staggering. So good for Apple. It's, it's amazing. But I, I mentioned this quickly as well. Go back to the fall of 2018. Stock made an all-time high at the time of 225. Within a month, it was trading 140. And just go back to this past uh, February, stock made an all-time high at 325. And within a month, mm. it was trading down to 220 or so. This stock does move to the downside as well. It's done it in the past, in my sense. It's going to do it again in the future. Tim, what do you think? Well, so, you know, guys gave you all the numbers from the stock charts and why this has been so extraordinary. They say it's, you know, hardest to make your first million, and, and it was certainly hard to get to the first trillion-dollar company, and yet it's taken two years to quickly double that and uh, uh, even more extraordinary in between from COVID. But the things I would point out about Apple that are the drivers, they are three things. First of all, it's a services company that is growing uh, in the middle of a hardware company. If it's a $60 billion services business and you put a you know, a 14, 15 multiple on it. I mean, the services business alone, arguably, um, is, is close to a trillion dollar company. I know that seems extreme, but that's exactly what's going on with this valuation. The second is that 5G is an upgrade cycle that I, I think people are underestimating, although maybe the stock is not. Uh, but 350 of roughly 950 million Apple phones that are out there are going to upgrade. Uh, there's no question about it. And in terms of winners and losers from COVID, well, it, guess what? Um, Apple may be one of the biggest winners, even though it's not just really services. I mean, think about what's going on in, in this uh, cycle of back to school, whether it's MacBooks, whether it's iPads, whether it's AirPods, uh, their wearables business. All these things have gone through multiple holiday seasons in the last four months, and we haven't even gotten to the holiday season. Oh, and throw in capital markets. So you wonder why the stock has moved. Those are the reasons, and those are reasons why it doesn't have to fall out of bed here. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, certainly all those same reasons. And by the way, Bon, when I'll throw in back to school, and you may think that's crazy, every day we're hearing more kids are going virtually. And listen, the kids of the parents who've got some money, upper middle class, wealthy, whatever, you know what they're going to do? They're going to deck out their rooms with iPads and MacBooks and make sure that if they're on Zoom, they could have two sort of holiday seasons at Apple, if you will, the holidays and everybody buying all their gear because they're probably not going to go back to school. But does the stock get ahead of itself in terms of valuation. A good point. And um, again, the, the valuation question seems to be the one that persists. I think we've all gotten on here at one point and said, listen, I don't really think it's about valuation at this point. Previously, we talked about um, how strong their balance sheets were, free cash flow generation. Uh, Tim and Dan, Guy, they've all done wonderful jobs of speaking about the different um, verticals here as well as how the service business is expanding and likely going to lead into multiple expansion. Sure, I mean, you, you have to take into consideration that the stock does trade choppy at times, and those would be the entry points for me. I'd look at technical levels that make sense to kind of reload. As far as the integration of the system, I think that's probably the one thing that, that the other guys hadn't, haven't talked about. The integration of the system, whether it be iPad, um, iPhone, the iWatch, 
Apple TV, all of those things are integrated. That coupled with the 5G rollout, yeah, I mean, I just don't, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest guy here, but I'm young and dumb, but smart enough to know you don't get in front of freight trains, and I am not stepping in front of this one. Well, well, here's the thing. So we're talking about this as it's the first company to ever reach a $2 trillion market cap company in the, in the world. And like Guy said, it's gained $400 billion uh, in market cap since it released its earnings. So if you talk about what expectations are for a 5G rollout, I'd say they're pretty well entrenched in there. If you talk about what the expectations are for an extraordinary back to school, again, I would say pretty well entrenched in that recent move. You know, here's one thing that we haven't even brought up just yet. You know, China, I've long thought that that Apple would be the last battle fought in our trade war. And now this really what's turned into a pretty hot, cold war with us in China. When you think about what's going on there, you know, Forget about the fact that Apple hasn't grown its iPhone units in the last couple of years meaningfully. Um, its sales have obviously been flat for the last few years. So you talk about this services business. Yeah, it's really important. But here's the thing. Apple's market share in iPhone units has dropped in China. Apple's revenue has dropped in China over the last five years by like 20 percent or so. So when you think about what the Chinese might be able to do with the App Store, you think about the potential regulation that we have coming from the UK or excuse me, the EU and here, um, then you have some sort of issues with this growth and this multiple expansion. By the way, the multiple has expanded. It's doubled in the last two years, two years that the stock actually hasn't grown its earnings. So when you put it all together to me at this point, I just don't see how you put fresh money to work right here in the name. Now, obviously, I've been skeptical that this this expansion as far as multiple makes any sense. I want to make one last point, though. Here's a company whose gross margins have been basically 50 basis points on either side of 38% for the last five years. So if you're telling me that service is going to help grow that margin, well, it's telling me also that hardware margins are coming in pretty hard. And if you're not growing units and you don't have, and you have some issues potentially in China with market share going lower, I'd say to myself, there's plenty of headwinds ahead. Here's, listen, here's the amazing thing about the iPhone in China, guys. The iPhone costs one-fourth of the average yearly income of a Chinese worker. Their income is about $5,000 a year on average. The iPhone is the same price as it is here. You think about that. You wonder how big the market is. Could you imagine if the iPhone was $12,000 here? That's basically the equivalent. By the way, Apple's target price, $35 below. Where this, it doesn't matter, does it, Tim? It doesn't seem to matter to anybody. Well, I... I don't think it's mattered. I mean, that's that's an important point. And, and we saw where Apple lost a lot of ground four years ago with Android and cheaper, frankly, local hardware manufacturers who were doing something almost as good. But that statistic has been out there for a long time. And, I, you know, everyone's pointing out why the stock has had a great run and why it can't continue. It, yet it seems to go higher. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Good discussion there on Apple. Now we've got an earnings alert on another big name, another trader favorite. That is NVIDIA, the chip maker on the move, the conference call getting underway. Let's get right out of Josh Lipman, who's been following the earnings and the call, and he has more. Josh. So, Brian, I just caught up with uh, Mitch Steves over at RBC, longtime NVIDIA bull over there. He would say the print was neutral relative to high expectations. Remember, heading into this print, that stock was up about 100% year-to-date, up 15% this month alone. Uh, Q3 revenue guidance bit better than expected, Mitch says. Q3 gross margin guidance, though, 
bit weaker than expected. But he says he would say by any dip tomorrow, he argues, because investors, he tells me, they do want to be long, he says, ahead of the expected September launch of new gaming products. If you look at the print line, data center revenue, uh, $1.75 billion. The street was at $1.71. Gaming, $1.65 billion. Consensus there was close to 1.41. The Q3 uh, guide that Mitch is talking about, they're looking for 4.4 billion plus or minus 2%, and they're guiding for non-GAAP gross margins of 65.5%. The call really is just getting underway. CFO Colette Cress on the call uh, saying they delivered a strong quarter. Gaming, she says, was ahead of expectations. Broad-based strength in that division, she says, across regions, channels, and products. Highlighting gaming, she says, as a leading form of entertainment. Says NVIDIA's PCs and laptops are perfect for more people as they're now working and learning and gaming at home. Going to keep listening to the call and bring you guys more headlines as they come. Brian, back to you. Yeah, Dan, traders acting laconic about that quarter. What's your take? Yeah, it was a great quarter, but I think investors were expecting that. I think that the data center, um, just the modest upside there might be the thing that investors are kind of focusing on. Obviously, when you see the gross margin beat in the current quarter and then the modest guide in, in the next quarter, you're just saying to yourself they're being conservative. You know, I'd key a little bit more on the data center here in the direction of that. I think that might be more indicative of what the next few quarters look like for this company. They've obviously pulled forward a ton of demand on the gaming side to me and you see that upside in those revenues. I, I just, again, you know, the stock was up 15% this month alone into the print. Josh just said it was up 100% in the year. Um, you know, I'll make this, we talked about it the other night. I mean, here's a company that um, does one fifth of the sales of Intel and has a $100 billion market cap greater than Intel. And I understand that Intel has its own problems. I understand Intel doesn't have nearly the growth, that sort of thing. But a $200 billion market cap to a $300 billion market cap um, to NVIDIA, it just doesn't make any sense on a valuation basis, in my opinion. Okay, there you go. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. A lot done, a lot more to do. And up next, easy come, easy go, maybe. My one top market strategist says, enjoy the record highs while they last, folks. Rory Calvacina is here now to tell us why. But first, it will be a retail roundup. We're going to break down the good, the bad, and maybe the ugly from today's big earnings and some big numbers and big moves. Stick with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We've got a Fast Money earnings alert on L Brands. That stock is jumping a little bit after hours. Let's get right out of Bertha Coombs with more on that quarter. Bertha. Hey, Brian. L Brands results slightly better than the retailer's pre-announcement last month, posting a profit on an adjusted basis after losing nearly a dollar per share in the first quarter. Revenues also topped estimates. And here's the sales breakdown. 
Overall, Victoria's Secret sales down 39% year over year, which is about in line with the pre-announcement. Take a look at Bath & Body Works. Revenues were up 13%. That's slightly better than the company had forecast. And they reported same-store sales with a very big caveat. It excludes periods when stores were closed for more than four days in the quarter, so it's not clear what that base actually entails. That said, they said Victoria's Secret comps were up 28% when stores were open, while Bath & Body Works more than doubled up 123%. We should get more colored on the conference call, which is tomorrow morning. So I guess people shop when they're actually in store. There you go. And the American consumer perpetually underestimated. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Tim, what's been amazing is L Brands was just this dog of a stock forever. It's actually not only the best performing stock in the S&P 500 this quarter, it's the best performing stock this quarter by 34% over the second best AMD, but would you touch it with Guy Adami's money? <laughs> well, I mean, guys, part of the, I mean, guys running in there getting scented candles right and left. And I, I you know, I think uh, Bath and Body Works has been typically the story. The turnaround in Victoria's Secret may be uh, really the incremental driver and the delta from what's moved. But uh, COVID-19, uh, as it has done for many retailers, uh, and specialty retail, especially, especially those that sit in malls that are empty, uh, it's forced them uh, to move quicker to restructure. And in fact, given them uh, almost some cover to restructure. I think that's part of this. I think there's been a lot of low-hanging fruit, and no, I'm not chasing it now. Guy, quick comment there. Not about your money, but about the company, the well, stock, whatever. So, you know, it's interesting. Or, I only remember this because I remember the banter I remember the banter back and forth, and it was when you were filling in for Mel uh, earlier this year, and we had a whole conversation about L Brands. I remember Tim making fun of me about the scented candles, and I said something like, I'd rather buy the candles from Henry Bendel. But you know what? The stock has been hovering around this $10 level. If you get some decent news, you could have a huge short covering rally. And that's what's taking place. Those bath and body work numbers were ridiculous. But I do agree with Tim that at these levels, you don't chase. It's had a ridiculous run. You've got to yeah. be taking money off the table now, I think. I don't know. Does Bath and Body Works sell off? Because I just got like attacked by like what must have been a 16 pound fly, by the way. I don't know what it finds so attractive about me. All right. L Brands capping off a big day of retail earnings, by the way. So it is time now to break down the good, the bad and the ugly from today's retail reports. First, the good, the great target investors going on a shopping spree, driving the name up 12 percent after the retailer reported a monster quarter with a huge profit and sales surge. Guy Adami, earlier this week, we asked a would you rather on Walmart or Target? You picked Target. Hey, great call. But now what? Well, I mean, you flip a coin, you're going to be right half the time, right? So, I mean, thank I appreciate that. We've actually <laughs> been talking about Target pretty unanimously across the desk. We've said the thesis is, in terms of valuation, if you love Walmart, you got to absolutely adore Target, and it's going to catch up at some point in terms of valuation. Well, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, the Walmart quarter was fantastic as well, but you saw the price action as opposed to Target, which was equally fantastic with the opposite price action. Now the two are sort of meeting in the middle. I think given this move, given the volume Target traded today, the smart thing to do is to take money off the table and look for the pullback, which will come. All right, now let's move on to Lowe's. And listen, we're going to call this the bad, but let's, let's be clear. Lowe's had a spectacular quarter. Big-time earnings beat, blew away every estimate. 
but we'll call it the bad because of the price action. Something that we saw similar from yesterday with Home Depot. Tim, your take on Lowe's, quote, bad quarter. Yeah, I mean, comp sales up 35%. I'd like to be that bad. That's exactly where they wanted to go. And, and they, they were taking market share from Home Depot. The, the 160% move off the bottom, uh, 36% up year to date, but 25% up from pre-COVID levels for a stock that had already run into that tells you what the secular trends are and ones that I, I don't think are going to reverse. I think we did a would you rather with Home Depot on this one, and I rathered Home Depot, but I think Lowe's in, in, on its own, this is a bad number. You want to buy weakness. Dan? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to, to think about you know, Tim just said 160% off of its March lows. That means the stock was down more than 50% in March, which was much more than the S&P. At that point, we had not had the fiscal stimulus measures been put in place. The market bottomed around that same week. So I just think that it's really important to remember that there was a handful of U.S. retailers that just literally had this handout from the government through the U.S. consumer given to them in the form of fiscal stimulus. And while everything that's great about Target and everything that's great about Home Depot and Lowe's and Walmart, it's hard horrible for a lot of small business um, and, and, and mom and pop retailers around our country. So, I mean, we're just seeing the big get bigger right here. So to yeah. me, all of these stocks have massively outperformed. It's been fantastic for them. I think retail is probably has a lot of headwinds, especially as we have fiscal stimulus kind of stalling here in our country. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I said that on Squawk this morning, Dan, which is that the government kind of picked winners. I mean, you, you shop at the five or six yeah. stores that were open. It's they did a good job, but where else are you going to go? It's no wonder they captured all that money. All right, let's round things out with the ugly, because really that's kind of what it was for TJ Maxx. The retailer reporting a bigger-than-expected loss last quarter. Stock falling over 5% today. Bonwin, your reaction? Well, good to know what you feel about me. I'm doing the ugly segment. Um, uh, jokes aside, TJ Maxx, I mean, man, this is just this is just brutal here. I mean, as you said, listen, there's winners, there's losers, or there's have and have nots. And what these essential businesses essentially don't have is the ability to stay open. We've even seen it from some of the companies that have actually beat. They've been reluctant to, to give us like-for-like same-store sales. Well, TJ Maxx was in a position where they couldn't even operate for half of the time. So, listen, no real surprise here. I think you're going to continue to see this trend happen. Um, if, you're not an essential, if you're not an essential business and if you're not providing essential goods, I think the headwinds persist. Yeah, like we just talked about, Bonwin. If you're not allowed to sort of be open and be a place anyone can go, you can't go to Ace Hardware, you're going to go to Lowe's, then you're going to be a winner. By the way, don't, don't be offended. TJ Maxx was a spectacular stock for about <laughs> 10 years. It was the good for a long time, as you are, my friend. All right, coming up, the S&P 500 pulling back slightly from a record high today. And your next guest says there is plenty of cause for concern as we head into the fall. We're going to find out what's got her guard up. Plus, we're going to take a look at some of the hottest stocks since the March lows and find out which ones have more room to run, which have their best days behind them. I'm going to open up the window. We're back right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks selling off a bit into the close today. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ setting record highs earlier in the session before turning lower. And your next guest says there could be some more pain ahead for stocks in the fourth quarter. Let's bring in head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, Lori Calvacita. Lori, great to see you back as well. Listen, uh, this has been a record-breaking rebound rally on so many different metrics. Why are you more nervous heading into year's end? Look, you know, I find myself thinking about 2018, and I'm not saying we're going to have the same kind of drawdown that we had in the fourth quarter of 2018, but if you go back to that year, we had this big blow-off-the-top rally on tax reform hope um, and excitement in January. We got caught up in the low vol unwind. Um, the trade war in the second quarter pulled us down. Then markets sprung back, and guess what? The small caps hit, you know, kind of hit and surpassed those January highs in August, and the big caps did it in September. And then we had a heck of a fourth quarter um, where, you know, sort of tighter policy from the Fed started to pull markets down. And companies came out and said, hey, remember how you guys all thought that the trade war wasn't going to hurt the U.S. economy? Well, guess what? Think again. And the narrative changed. Stocks were vulnerable from a valuation and positioning perspective. And we tumbled. And as I look at things today, valuations, one of my models is back to tech bubble highs. When I look at NASDAQ positioning and the CFTC data, uh, U.S. equity futures positioning among asset managers, a good proxy for institutional investors, that actually recently returned to the 2015 highs and is starting to come down. And as I look through a lot of these indicators that I track, earnings sentiment, U.S. positive economic surprises, the peaks are starting to pile up. We may not have hit them just yet. But they're starting to be within reach if they haven't haven't been hit already. Um, and so I look at where the valuations yeah. are at tech bubble highs. Do I want to chase this? No. Um, and if I'm being intellectually honest, I'm not going to tell you to chase it here. But, you know, you, you, you may have heard the earlier conversation we had, Laurie, about Apple. And, and Tim and I sort of quipped back and forth that, that nothing mattered with Apple, right? The fact that China, yeah. you know, that half the population makes less than the cost of an iPhone. It doesn't matter extrapolate that out to the macro market. It hasn't seemed that anything has mattered. Why not? I think, I think the market at the moment is, is riding high on these hopes around vaccines. Um, and I think what we heard from the Fed minutes today, you know, is just kind of a sobering reminder that this economy probably has a long recovery path in front of it. But the market hasn't been thinking about that yet. Um, you know, and I think when we come to tech, it's, it's just really a tug of war with these tech names between extreme valuations and positioning that needs to unwind and strong fundamentals that make those things deserved. Now, what we do know is that the institutional investors are starting to retreat in terms of the futures exposure to the NASDAQ trade. We haven't seen that, or at least we hadn't as of mid-August among the Robinhood um, investors. They were still pursuing that trade, but the institutions are starting to get nervous. Um, and we have we have seen you know tech sort of wobble as the new case count in the virus has started to come down. Um, so, it, you know, I'm neutral this trade, but it, it's, it's interesting. You are starting to see some wobbles, and that positioning is really starting to worry people who have made a lot of money in this space. Lloyd to RBC Capital Markets. Lori, always a pleasure to get your take as well. Lori, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. 
All right, so Tim, she's using the W word, wobble. Do you see a wobble maybe underneath the underlying <laughs> equity market? Look, the, the, the W uh, in wobble is, is uh, what a lot of people thought this market was going to look like coming off of COVID. And, and I think the, the Fed, um, when she referenced 2018, and Lori's on our show a lot and does a great job, to be clear. So I, the, the 2018 concern to me for Q was really all about the Fed. There was a little bit of China in there, but it was a Fed that was overly aggressive and we we're starting to see the signs. Um, it's all about the Fed now. We got Fed minutes today. In fact, people are starting to, to kind of decipher whether by September we're going to have some different language. Um, but that, to me, is where the W in wobble or that shaped chart that the market could look at if it means uh, uh, we're only halfway through. Um, again, it's a capital, uh, a, a, an uppercase W at that. But uh, I, I don't see wobble. Um, I do see valuations that are stretched. Yeah, and, and, but Guy Adami, listen, I'm sure, I don't know if you get the questions or not. I know we can't see a lot of people physically. Maybe you get them over Zoom or emails or text from your friends basically saying, what blank is going on with the stock market? What do you tell? I'm sure you get that. What do you say? Yeah, well, my friends don't use the blank. They actually use the word. And there was a movie in the 1960s, Brian. It's a mad, 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 mad world. And everybody was looking for the treasure under the W, and they couldn't see it, but it was right in front of their eyes. Well, this W, my friends, is right in front of your eyes. You just got to see it. Lori does. I do as well. By the way, fantastic movie. Soaring right out there. You just, you know, long-time reference. All right, we've got All some right. breaking news right now on Intel. Kate Rooney joining us down with the news. What is it, Kate? Hey, Brian. Intel announcing a $10 billion stock buyback. This is part of Intel's plan to buy back $20 billion worth of stock. Uh, after today, that brings the total to $17.6 billion. So they're, they're well on their way there. Intel has gotten a boost this year from work from home and demand uh, for their product. CEO Bob Swan pointing to those record financial results in the first half of this year saying while the macro environment remains uncertain, shares are now trading well below their intrinsic value, and he believes that the repurchases are prudent at this time, as he says. Uh, Shares popping about 3% after hours. Back to you guys. All right, there we go. Look at that, 3.5% there. Big common stock buyback. Bon, when I said we have not seen a lot of buybacks lately. Intel coming out of the blue. What's your take on that? Well, listen, that stock has been hit precipitously hard. I mean, that fall has just been drastic. Uh, It makes sense to put some money to work here. There was definitely a lot of scrutiny around dividends, particularly in the financial sector, and buybacks, as those led to a lot of the um, elevated levels that we had. But if this is an opportunity to buy back shares at suppressed levels, and they're essentially signaling that they don't have a better way of returning value to shareholders, it makes sense and seems seemingly is a prudent thing to do. Of course, time will tell. Of course, time will tell on that front. Yeah, it is. I mean, Dan, I think Bono makes a great point. The, the upside of a buyback is that you remove stock. You essentially create artificial tightness of supply. By the way, for the overall market, hope the stock will go up. But to Bono's point, you're also kind of saying we don't really have a better use for the ten billion dollars. Are you a fan overall of buybacks? Do you like the Intel move? 
Sure. You know, listen, Intel is a company that put billions and billions and billions of dollars to work in the last five years. They bought Altera, they bought Mobileye, they made a lot of much smaller acquisitions. This is a company that was getting very focused to the next uh, wave of computing, being exposed to IoT, uh, autonomous, and a whole host of other things. So I, I think that obviously this is good news. It, it, it's fine. Do we want them to make another expensive acquisition? Maybe. They haven't integrated the other two uh, very well just yet. So in the meantime, I think this is probably good for investor sentiment. I want to make one other point about Lori and the market and the wobble and all that sort of stuff, Sully. You know, I think this is a really interesting week. You know, yesterday, the S&P 500 made that new all-time high. A day later, Apple trades over $2 trillion the first time ever. I think it's really interesting to put those two facts together and consider one thing, that yesterday, when the S&P was on all-time highs, only 6% of the S&P 500 made new all-time highs. The breadth is getting narrower and narrower, and these names like Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon, they're doing all the heavy lifting here. I think you could probably throw a dart at your board, and you will see almost any stock it hits down a month from now. I just do not see how this really poor breath can persist when but you have so many stocks acting so poorly relative to the mega cap. Absolutely agreed, Dan. We've been talking about it for over a year, at least in some cases, but it really, you know, it hasn't seemed to matter, Tim Seymour, because what is it? Those five stocks, and not to go off on the tangent, but to Dan's point, those five stocks are, what, 24% of the entire market. I do wonder if 495 names go down, but those five go up. Will the market, oh, the market, quote, keep going up? All that people care about is that they own an S&P 500 index fund or, or ETF, that those five go up. Well, if I'm playing darts, by the way, get out of the way, because I'm missing the board. And, and I think, you know, <laughs> on some level, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. I, I mean, I, I think uh, also disproportionate amount of the profits of the S&P. I mean, think about that. Um, but when I look at the breadth, uh, you know, if, if the banks were participating, I think people would say something different. Frankly, I look at retail. Retail's on fire. Look at the XRT. Look at the industrials. Uh, the fact that you're getting, you know, <laughs> my FedEx, Dan, uh, as you look at the shippers and you look at some of these broader transports, uh, you know, to me, I don't think the breadth is awful. Uh, and and, and I, I think the, the fear around the narrowing of the market is something that we've talked about with mega cap tech for for a couple of years. But I, I can't dispute that markets aren't elevated here and, and that the fundamentals aren't truly matching up with the with the times. Uh, this is about the Fed. This is about liquidity. This is about Tina. This is a, about earnings yields that are better than you can get in the fixed income market. That's the story here. And with the Fed in, not in play, um, I think markets stay here. Okay, good point there and a good uh, discussion on market structure, as we shall say. All right, coming up. Call this maybe a biotech buzzkill. We're going to tell you what said shares of Gilead skidding today, and it has nothing to do with coronavirus. The first, Bonwin's winding up for a fast pitch on a stealth housing play. He's going to bring us that name when Fast Money returns. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Are you looking for some good fortune? I mean, who isn't? We'll look no further. Bonwin Eisen is taking the mound with his first, first pitch and fast pitch. Bonwin, take it away. If you guys saw me pitch in high school, there's no way you would have let me up here. But um, with that said, um, I'm going to take a look at a name that gives you exposure to the housing sector, but it's not, not a much-talked-about name, so Fortune Brands. Uh, there's a few reasons why I really like this play. So it's got the exposure to do it yourself. I mean, we've seen that, right? We've seen... 
the earnings from Lowe's, Home Depot, etc. It's another way for you to play the housing boom. And what I like about this is that you have immediate follow-through and then you have delayed follow-through when you look at their brand mix and the verticals that they're, in, that they're in. And the last thing, speaking of that, is strong financials and industry-leading um, brands. So if you're really breaking down this, you take a look at free cash flow, debt load, the, their ability to hold margins. I, I think the story really shapes up here. And if you take a look at the stock chart here, you can see that this thing has been in a strong uptrend. And it's tough to pitch names that are making new highs. But listen, if you're not willing to pick a name that makes new highs, you will have missed out on much of the market rally. This is probably a less popular way, less known about way to play exposure to the housing sector, and this is what I'm looking to do. Okay, hey, Brian, I, 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 I like the there. fast Guy pitch. Dummy, I know you've oh, got a question. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, I do. Have, I, I apologize for jumping on you there. Once again with the dogs on day two. My question to Bonowin is, stock's a monster, no question. You're through earnings. Does valuation concern you at all? Because we're probably getting towards the upper end of their valuation spectrum. Absolutely, the valuation concerns me. You know, so, I mean, I, as with anything, and I think we've heard many of the panelists and guests come on and say, listen, it's probably the proper time to put in a stop loss or, you know, um, kind of express your view via options. Yes, it's something to, to, to take into consideration. But if we go back and look at what has led us higher, it has been stocks with stretched valuations. All right, good stuff there. Bonwin, thank you very much. No more questions. It is now time to vote. America, the world, wherever you're watching, are you buying Bonwin's pitch on Fortune Brands Home Security Guy? We'll start with you. Hopefully you can see this, Brian. And if you can't see it, it says, I heart icebreaker. And Icebreaker is Bonowitz's <laughs> nickname, which I happen to give him, which I happen to love. And he could have pitched the phone book, and I was with him on this one. Good job. FBHS continues to go higher here. I thought it said Anacott Steel. Tim, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Blue Horseshoe. Um, look, uh, I, I think there's probably some Fortune brands decking outside those windows in, in, in Bonowin's backyard there. So, look, I, I like the call. And here's what I say about valuation. We've seen uh, materials plays and resource plays during difficult times, excuse me, during boom times, go well past valuations. You don't buy them when they're cheap. You buy them when they're expensive. Buy. Brilliant. Nice. Another buy. Dan, what about you? So listen, uh, you know, Kevin, our producer, is going to get mad at me and Bree, too. Uh, I, I have buy. I, my pen ran out here, people. I'm sorry. It's a difficult time here. But my, my one caveat is I would buy on a pullback. You have a great story. Bonneman laid out all the fundamentals. The valuation is fine. You want to keep buying names like this. But I think you want to buy it on a pullback. If you get a move back to that breakout level, 73, 74, that's where I would buy this. Just because Bonwin comes on here, tells a nice, pretty story, um, and listen, whoa, that story is going to be intact, but you just might you just might get a pullback to buy into that thing. I don't think you have to buy it here at eighty three and a half dollars. That's all I'm saying. All right. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Tomorrow's fast pitch guys will be on Newell Rubbermaid because the Nathan family apparently needs Sharpies. Either way, I yes. heart icebreaker. All right. Well, the traders have spoken. But are you at home buying Bonowin's fast pitch on Fortune Brands Home and Security? Vote now. In our Twitter poll, of course, we're going to reveal the answer a bit later on in the show. But up next, talk about 
a buzzkill. We're going to tell you what sent shares of Gilead tumbling today. And as we said, it had nothing to do with COVID. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got a bit of a buzzkill on Gilead Sciences. Shares tumbling nearly 5% on news. The FDA will not approve its experimental arthritis treatment, saying it needs to see more data. Guy, your take. So there's also this global partnership with a company called Galapagos, which was down 25%. I mean, Great Islands, obviously, difficult company today. <laughs> with that said, if you go back to last summer, Gilead spent a lot of time between 63 and 67 so this 65 level makes, uh, makes sense for a lot of different reasons. I think now for the first time in a while, a company that's been cheap is actually cheap enough for you to buy. So I think Gilead at 65 is worth a look. All right. Meantime, we've got an update on a story that we first brought to you last week. Remark Media responding to criticism by short seller Dan David of Wolfpack Research. Remark CEO sending us a statement saying that many of David's accusations about the artificial intelligence company are wrong. That includes Remark's existing ownership in healthcare company ShareCare. Remark adding, Wolfpack inaccurately calculates its working capital using 2018 figures, and they go on to say that we are a public company with well-regarded auditors regularly reviewing our financials. The full six-point statement is now online at fastmoney.cnbc.com. All right, coming up, Alibaba on deck to report their numbers. Will that bull run continue? We're going to dig into the options pit to find out. And check out this C-suite triple play Kramer has tonight. You're going to hear from the CEOs of At Home, Lind, which has been a red-hot stock, and analog device. That is all coming up at the top of the hour on a huge Bad Money with Jim tonight. Fast Money, meantime, back in two. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Well, earnings season, it is not over yet. Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba reporting tomorrow, and option traders are betting that Baba keeps its run going. Bonwin has the action on Alibaba. Bonwin, what do you see? So looking ahead to earnings, taking a look, and we can see that calls outpaced puts about three times to one. Uh, I will note that some of that is in, in spread action, which we'll get to later. Looking at the at-the-money strata, you can see that options are implying a 5% move in either direction between now and Friday X3. That's about twice what we've seen over the last four quarters. And the trade that really sticks out to me is 13 plus thousand of the August, this Friday, both the 260 and the 265 calls traded. Now, some of that looked to, to have traded as part of a call spread. So this 260, 265 call spread traded, you pay $2 for it, you outlay two to make five, We've talked about stocks being stretched. We've talked about stocks having their run, and it's short-dated optionality. It's a way for you to define your risk and uh, play for a little bit of upside going into earnings. All right, Alibaba, I'm Bonwin. Thank you very much. All right, well, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, as always. That's only a couple days, folks. All right, up next, it is your last chance to vote in our Twitter poll. Did you think that Bonwin's fast pitch on Fortune Brands was a home run or just completely just a whiff? You can vote at CNBC Fast Money. I retweeted it as well. We'll get the results at our final trades coming up next. All right, welcome back. Time now to reveal if all you bought Bonwin's pitch on Fortune Brands, and it looks like 
you kept your high school pitching skills because unfortunately yeah, the folks at home were not buying your fast pitch. Bonwood Ison on Fortune Brands. They didn't do it. Better luck next time, though. You got a lot more, got a lot more at bats. Don't worry. It is time now for final trade. Let us go around the <laughs> horn. Tim Seymour, kick it off. Well, I'm buying his call on Alibaba. I, I think I'm long and I stay long into earnings. A lot of catalysts there, including Alipay's undervalued. All right, Bodwin. I'm doubling down. I think what's being overlooked is the existence to, uh, sorry, is the exposure to new and existing builder flow, um, FBS. Danny yeah. Guy. Buyer's five boom. puts here. Halliburton. All right, guys, thank you. Thank you, Halliburton. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 